0: Marvin's story is a pretty incredible one, is it not? I mean, it's all over the place. It's amazing. We're going to get to that in a second, but just because Pastor Eric had to bring it up, I just want you to know, in Proverbs, it says that gray hair is a crown of splendor for those who are wise. It's not my fault. A little bit wiser. <laughs> it's not my fault. All right. Um, so, uh, but Marvin's story is this amazing one, right? And it's so amazing that if I can just be a little honest with you, it just, it is almost hard to kind of wrap my mind around it. I mean, everything seems to line up like just perfectly for him, right? I mean, it's a powerful story, but if we can be honest this morning, I think for some of us, and I would be in this boat, I think, a lot of the time, it's one of those stories that's hard to believe that it could ever become our story, right? It's like, well, that hasn't been where I've been, or that hasn't been my issues, or those haven't been my things that are going on, or even if they have been, Marvin's got to be like the one in a million story, right? Like, it's its like everything seems to, I mean, kind of work out eventually for this guy, and that's just not the case for everyone, right? And, I mean, how in the world is this, could this possibly be my story, except for except for this little thing? I don't know about you, but, man, I hear stories like that, over and over and over and over again when I talk to people and the people whose paths kind of cross my path. Let me just tell you a couple of stories. There's a guy named Ajay. Ajay, whose story is almost exactly the same as Marvin's. Ajay, um, we actually rent uh, the church, a church, part of our church facility in Frederick to Ajay and the group that he's a part of. And Ajay went to prison a while back. Um, he went to prison for some bad decisions that he had made, and he didn't get the charges dropped. He had to serve his time fully and completely. He was then uh, allowed to go and uh, out on parole and, and, and engage everything. But while he was in prison, God started a new work in him and all of a sudden ignited this fire in him. And, and Ajay decided in his jail cell that, that he was going to spend the rest of his life, however many days he had left, he was going to spend it trying to help and serve and mentor kids in his community, in the Frederick community, to keep as many of them who were sort of heading down the path that he ended up draw- going down, to keep them from heading down that same path and ending up in the same place that he did. There's a guy named Victor that I know. I love Victor. Victor, um, Victor's the type of guy that you can't have three sentences in Three sentences without there being a multitude of four-letter words in the middle of it. And he's one of the best Christians I know out there at the same time. But Victor is one of these guys who he had this tragic loss of his son that occurred in his life. It was sudden. It was tragic. It was heart—it was just heart-wrenching. And so he did what so many others do. He went to various different substances and situations to numb the pain, right? To just try to figure out how to get through one more day in this unbearable and unimaginable situation that he was experiencing. And yet a couple years ago, God met him in the midst of that dark space and began to transform and change his life to the point where now, Victor's the guy that, that other men who go through unexplainable loss and who are finding themselves in the midst of depression and loneliness and trying to figure out which way to go, Victor's the guy that they go to. And he counsels them and guides them and helps them to go through all of that. Well, then there's this guy named Paul that I know. Not the Paul in, 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 in the New Testament. We're going to talk about him later. But just the guy, Paul, that's, that I know. Who's he, he had experienced everything that the world could possibly offer him, right? I mean, he, he had all sorts of success. By the world's standards, everything was going amazing. He had the job that he wanted. He was making boatloads of money. He had the house. He had the cars. He had everything he wanted. But in the process of all of that, He looked up one day and realized he had irreparably damaged his marriage, had no clue who these kids were that were running around in his house day after day, and felt impossibly alone because there were no close friends in his life. And yet God still met him in the midst of that place of loneliness and difficulty and began to fill the hole that the successes of his life never could quite fill. And now Paul is a guy in the community who— helps other men to find their calling and their purpose in Jesus, no matter what their history has been in the past. And here's the cool thing this morning. We don't have time for it. But we could if we went around the room and we started to share stories about how God has met so many of you. If you have a relationship with Jesus, there's a before and an after story that happened. There's a before of who you were, and maybe it's not so dramatic as Marvin's or Ajay's. Maybe it's not that you haven't had all the successes, but there's a story of before, and then there was a meeting of Jesus, and there's a story of after that occurred. And it's probably in process for the after that occurred, but there's something that's there. And the stories we could tell as we go around the room would be stories over and over and over again of what God has done redeeming, restoring, bringing new life into various lives around this room. And there's a reason for that. It's a really simple reason. There's nothing nothing crazy about this sermon. If you're looking for something way, like really poignant and everything else, are you preaching next week? Okay, ask him to do that next week, okay? We're not going to get poignant today. We're just going to get real about the real important truths that sit at the heart of who we are as people. Because the the truth is that, that this is what God does, right? We have a lot of things we might like God to do. We might like him to go do these other things and be in these other spaces. But this is what God does despite the narratives that might play on the news or on our social media feeds, despite how you might feel about God or the church, despite the, the choices that you might have made in the past, the pain you felt, the awful things that have happened to you, and the hurt that maybe you have caused, the truth this morning is this. restoration's possible, and not only that, but restoration is what God does. Jesus himself declares this. It seems too simple, right? It seems like it should be harder than this, but this is exactly what Jesus himself declares in Luke 19.10. He says this. He says, for the Son of Man, and if you're not used to that terminology, that's just Jesus using the third person in a really weird way. All right, that's Jesus just going for Jesus, all right, because this is a name he used for himself. So he's saying, for Jesus, for I have come, I came to seek and to save those who are lost why did jesus come why did he was why was he born why did he die on a cross why was he resurrected from the grave it was to save us which is another way to say to restore us to bring us restoration if jesus isn't a good enough example for that well first of all i'm not sure what we're doing here by the way i love that i love that i love the fact that you can hear the fact that there's kids in church that's a beautiful 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 thing that's amazing um But if Jesus isn't good enough, first of all, I'm not sure what we're doing here. But we'll go to this other guy named Paul who writes over half of the New Testament. And in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, he says it this way. For he, and he's talking about God here, for he, God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. I don't know how else to say it to you, but this is what God does. Restoration is possible. Restoration is what God does in our lives, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in our world. It's what he loves to do. And that's not poignant, but here's the thing that we often get kind of off kilter here. Because what the question is then, if that's what God does, then what does it look like when restoration actually comes into our lives? And you might sit there and say, well, that's obvious what it's going to look like, except for if we were to go around this room and ask the question, what does restoration in the lives of people, in families, in cities, and neighborhoods and communities look like, we'd have a hundred different definitions. That's the issue here, because this is where the rubber meets the road for so many of us, for me, so often in this. And it's also where many of us end up getting disillusioned to the thing that God is doing and desiring to do and working in us in the moment because for most of us I'm gonna say some things that you would never say this morning but you but can we just be honest it's just us here this morning it's just just all of us we're all friends here you don't know me but we're friends okay and, and this is this is this is the thing that really kind of goes on behind our the scenes in our heads because for most of us what we would really like God to do is we would like for him to change and transform the results of our actions and our patterns of living but we would really like to keep on doing the things that we're currently doing. We would love to not have to change anything about the way our family is structured, the way that our workplace is structured, the way that we engage with the world, the way we engage with our spouse, the, the, the actions and the ways of thinking and the stuff that's going on. We, lo- we don't wanna change anything. We just would love if all those things would just come up with some different results at the end of the day. It would be great if that just, all these things would lead to a better th- whatever at the end of the day keep living the same way, but see different results. And that's really what re- transformation looks like when it's done on our terms. That's what it looks like when it when we are the ones that are trying to sit in the driver's seat of what transformation looks like. But God's transformation, his restoration at work in our lives, in our families, in our cities, in our neighborhoods, in our country, in our world, it encompasses so much more than just the results of our actions, but it's a complete transformation from the inside working its way outward, eventually resulting in a change of the results of our actions because of this crazy poignant idea, right? He changes our actions. (laughs) He changes the things inside of us that then changes the way we engage and relate to the world, which then changes what's happening around us. In my household, in the Remsch household, we've got four kids. My wife Maria, she's the better half, so if you get to have a chance to meet somebody this morning, go say hi to her. It's much more pleasant than coming and saying hi to me, um, usually. But we've got four kids. The oldest is 10. The youngest is four. Pray for us. All right. Three of them are boys. One of them is a girl. And she can keep all three of them in line, plus me and my wife. All right. We need your prayers. And, and so in our household, one of the things that in our household happens is that Legos abound everywhere. Like everywhere, Legos abound. Like Legos abound so much and for so long that my wife and I, it doesn't even hurt when we step on the Legos anymore. Like we just like we're just like we're just walking across. Like yep, that was a Lego that I stepped on. No big deal. We have calluses just on the bottom of our feet. It's just so common occurrence. And I'm really bad about this too because I, I am not the most compassionate individual in the world, most of the time. And so the other day, that like, a couple weeks ago actually, um, our kids were playing with Legos, and I don't know whether your kids do this, but our kids. We, we have these really nice buckets and things for their Legos to go in. And they see those buckets as um, when they need to get Legos out, instead of sitting there and using the bucket and going through it to find the Lego they need, we need this one Lego, so how am I going to get to it? I'm just going to dump the whole thing out on the floor, let it go everywhere, and then I'll go look for the Lego that I'm looking for. And so they did that, and they're playing with Legos, and they're all around, and it was my daughter this time and she's, um, she's running, trying to get to the stairs, to go upstairs to do something we asked her to do, and she's running, 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 and she hits a Lego with her foot and she just starts screaming in the pain that we all know, right, from stepping on a Lego. We've all experienced that. And I'm just gonna be honest with you. There was not one ounce of compassion or empathy in me at all in that moment. Instead, everything in me was like, sweet justice, yes. This is so right. Like this is the way it's supposed to be. Like, yeah, that's a pe- little bit taste of your own medicine, child, all right? Um, her mother is the better half. Have you heard that yet? She's so much more compassionate and loving and caring than I am, but I, I got some sick joy out of that. So that was also to tell you Legos abound in yeah. our household. There's no other purpose for all that, that storytelling. But what happens is that inevitably in our household, Lego creations are, are made. My oldest, he likes to use the, the Lego sets and the books and go, go through, and he makes, you know, the Hogwarts castle, huge thing, and everything else. And then my, my third born, he, he's, um, he's got his own ideas on how things should be structured and built. And so he just takes the big bin, and he kind of makes his own creations. And so the creations happen in all sorts of different ways. And after Lego creations are made, one of the things that inevitably happens is that, well, they get broken, they get stepped on, they get crashed into, a sibling fight occurs, and someone decides that retribution for taking that thing is to go and smash that Lego creation, or you know, you know, there's five million Legos in the house, but that was the one piece we needed, and so I had to knock down the entire structure just to get that one little piece that you were hoarding over there, and so inevitably that happens at a sibling love and care for one another, and occasionally. One of my kids will come up to me and they'll say, Daddy, would you, would you help me put this back together? Which sounds like a really great, like, father-son, father-daughter bonding moment. Sounds like a great idea, except for this one little, little problem that occurred. Um, I wasn't taking good notes on what the creation looked like in the first place. And so the problem is that we start doing this and my son wants me to help me put the Hogwarts castle back together and I'm sitting there and I don't realize that that little piece is supposed to go here and that's where the lantern's supposed to go and this is how that's supposed to look. I don't know and so I'm getting it all wrong because I don't understand what the creation is supposed to look like so it's almost impossible for me to know how to restore it. You see, when it comes to restoring things, understanding what something is supposed to look like when it's being restored, what it looks like when it's being restored, what's being restored to. When it comes to Lego making, that I've learned is absolutely important. But it's vital when it comes to understanding what God's restoration looks like in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, in our families, in our world around us. There's an interesting passage that I love to go to to share. What does that restoration mean? process begin to look like in our world and it's not one that you would think to go to but it's one of these powerful pieces that really unlocks for me at least this way of thinking about it and it comes in the the book of numbers and i know you read this all the time the book of numbers it's everyone's favorite book of the bible right who doesn't love a book just titled numbers right like and here's the crazy thing it's a book called numbers and there's all words in it so that's not that seems wrong at the same time and so in the book of numbers in chapter six God literally gives the Israelite priests a blessing, a benediction, which is just a fancy word to say blessing, that they want them to say over and over again throughout Israel's history to the people of Israel. And it's both a blessing for what they, they, they they want them to be mindful of, of what God is doing, and also to orient them around what it looks like for God to move and to work among them. So they will see God in their everyday and see what he's up to, in the day-to-day life things that are going through. And this is what he says. You've probably heard this. You've been around the church for any period of time. He says this. says, May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Peace. That word for peace in the Hebrew is the word shalom, which my guess is you've heard before, either as a joke somewhere or another, or you've heard it somewhere else. This idea of shalom, and it's a greeting in, in the Jewish tradition, and, but it's a powerful word. It's a powerful word that it points to an amazing concept that, that it, we really need to get our minds wrapped around, because I think it helps us figure out what this restoration process looks like. You see, peace is a really good translation for the word shalom, but it's not a, it's not a, it's not a peace the way that most of us think about peace to be honest, most of us think about peace and we think of, it's a lack of conflict. Like if we don't have conflict going on, that'll be peace. Thanksgiving's coming up in a few weeks, right? And some of you are like, that's gonna be great. Turkey, cranberry sauce, mashed potatoes, everyone else. And some of you are sitting there going, Uncle Joe and Aunt Susie. Man, we just know. Uncle Joe and Aunt Susie are gonna sit at that same table and one of them is gonna start talking about politics or religion or football. Or whatever the issue is, and all of a sudden we're going to have World War III break out across the dinner table, and there's going to be turkey legs flying, there's going to be there's going to be all sorts of crazy stuff that's going to be happening. Stuffing is going to go everywhere. It's going to be it's going to be just, just just cataclysmic here. And man, peace on Thanksgiving will look like will be if Uncle Joe and Aunt Susie don't start throwing the stuffing back and forth at each other. If there's just a lack of conflict that occurs. And this idea of shalom, it, it definitely con- contains this idea of, of a lack of conflict, but there's so much more to it. The word brings about ideas of, of peace, but it's peace that that's really comes from these ideas of, of wholeness, or completeness, or fullness, or rightness with things. It's the peace that occurs when Best way I know how to say it is that it's it's the peace that you feel when you sit in those, those few spaces. We all probably have experienced it in some way, shape, or form, but those few spaces where you kind of sit back and you go, this is the way everything was meant to be. There's a, this time feels like it's full and complete. My heart is full and complete. There's a there's a layer of flourishing that's here that I'm not watching the clock all the time. I'm not trying to just try to get by. I'm not hurried and everything. It's just Ah, this is right in the world. It's this idea of peace that comes when things are right and full and complete, the way they're supposed to be. There's a theologian, he says it this way. He says that shalom is not merely the absence of conflict, but it's the presence of justice and of flourishing for all. Just think about that for a second. A life of wholeness, completeness, fullness, justice, flourishing, For all people. If that doesn't get you excited, like that doesn't sit you, there's a little piece of you that goes like, I'll I'll have some of that. I'll take that, please. Tell me how to get to that place right there, because I don't want to spend my entire life rushing around, trying to figure everything out, trying to be constantly hurried and on this rat race of everything. I don't want to constantly just be trying to take and put out that fire there and this fire there and constantly be moving from conflict to conflict, trying to find some sort of peace in the midst of all that. But man, a life that is full and whole and complete and just and flourishing. I don't know about you, but give me some of that. Where is that found? I want that for my life. I want that for my family. I want that for my community. I want that for my city. And folks, that's exactly what God is saying his restorative process, his restoration of our lives looks like. It looks like flourishing. It looks like wholeness. It looks like completeness. It looks like Shalom and peace. Restoration is possible. Restoration is what God does. And restoration looks like peace and flourishing and justice and wholeness and completeness in our lives. Pastor Eric asked me to come here because um, I've been here every year for the last four or five years in October. It's the only time he'll ever give me an invitation is in October to come here. In the past four or five years, I've been here as 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 the lead pastor of New Beginning Church which is a church in Mount Airy. If you've been on 70 between here and and Frederick, you've driven past it, even if you don't know it. It's the building, a church up on the hill. There's a way station on one side of 70, and we're on the other, they're on the other side of 70. And every year we did this as part of a sermon series where you thought it was great that you got to hear different voices, and we thought it was great because we prepared one sermon for four weeks. It was fantastic. (laughs) It was awesome. It's like a pastor's dream come true. And over this past year... God started to do something completely different in the life of myself and my wife and our family. And so now I'm here and I'm here as not the lead pastor anymore of New Beginning Church. Let me just answer the question for you. No, yes, we are okay, and yes, the church is okay. When you leave a church, those are the questions everyone asks you. Is the church okay? Are you guys okay? Is everyone, yes, we're okay. Everyone's good, actually, everyone's great. Just God's moving, God's doing something new. And the new thing that God is doing is that God has opened an opportunity to begin to plant, to restart, to, I don't know what to call it yet, but that's how I kind of know that God's in it. Because when you're in that place where there's no real labels for what you're doing, that's usually the place where God's got you because you're realizing that I'm like Peter stepping onto water. I don't really even know what's underneath my feet, but I'm just going to hope that and pray and believe that God's going to hold us up. And so we're in the midst of, of launching a new community of faith in the city of Frederick. You know, it's amazing, I go to many places. People don't realize, but Frederick is the second largest city in Maryland. The largest city is Baltimore, by the way. Second largest city in Maryland. And it's the fastest growing city in Maryland. There's literally a new condominium building, a new new whatever being built, it feels like every week around there. It's crazy how fast it's growing. And the church that the Church of the Nazarene, which is the denomination that we're a part of, you guys are a part of as well here, is had one church and it was struggling. And so it was closed down about a year ago, and somehow the opportunity arose to begin to think about what a new thing would look like in in Frederick. And the entire intro to this entire sermon about restoration, what God does in our lives, is really the image and the vision for what we desire to be in the city of Frederick. It's this idea that this new congregation, that if this is what God is all about, if we serve a God of restoration, a God of transformation, if this is what he really wants to see happen in our lives and then in our families and then in our neighborhoods and our cities and our state and our world around us, then we've got this crazy idea that that's who God is. Then, like, we're just called to be partners in that. Like, we don't have to come up with anything more than just simply to be a part of his restorative plan. And so, this new congregation in Frederick called Restoration Church is basically a movement of God's restorative grace in the city of Frederick. And it's this crazy idea that if God is the God of restoration, desiring, desiring to bring peace and wholeness into our world, then we're just called to work alongside him in the communities and in the city to which we are sent. It's not that dissimilar from Impact Church, right? Like. Your guys' name is basically your mission statement, right? Like, Impact Church. If you didn't get the idea of the mission statement, you missed the name on the the church, right? Like, we are a church that desires to make an impact, right? Like, uh, that makes sense, right? Like, that was really easy, right? It's the same type of thing, right? Restoration Church. We're a church that desires to see restoration occur and be a part of that story that God is doing in people's lives. There's a couple of scriptures that have kind of played in my mind, and I want to share them with you because we're churches with the same type of vision and type of mission. I I haven't cleared this with Eric, but I hardly ever do clear things with Eric before I say them. And so, um, but I I really, I see Impact Church as a sister church. I see you guys as people who have a, a similar mission, a similar vision, a similar way of desiring to be and engage with the community that we can be partners that are just down the road in a couple different communities just down the road that are sister churches that work together to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so these couple of scriptures I just want to share with you, maybe to help you to to, to think about what it might look like here in Eldersburg and Sykesville and in this kind of area. Isaiah 58, 12, God says to the prophet Isaiah, This is a a crazy situation of the world that, that, that the world's upside down and they're in the midst of exile, all these crazy things. And they're trying to talk about what God wants to do in the future in the nation of Israel and through his people. And he says that you'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew. Rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You will be known as those who can fix anything. Restore old ruins. Rebuild and renovate. Make the community livable again. Then the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29 7, same chapter, same prophet, different verse than that one you probably have on the wall in your house, you know, for kind of the plans you have for you, says the Lord. This comes right before. It's actually, it's a better verse, if I, I, I can say that, than the one that we often do there. And he says this to a similar type of people in a similar situation. He says, also seek the peace, there's that word again, right? The peace, the shalom and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Finally, there's this guy named Jesus. I don't know if you've heard about him. He lived about 2,000 years ago. Savior of the world. Son of God born, died for our sins, rose from the grave, triumphant over death in the grave, and in his longest sermon that he ever gives, his longest teaching passage we know as the Sermon on the Mount, he says this. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. It's in Greek, but if it were in Hebrew, it would be the shalom makers. But it's not, it's it's in Greek, but blessed are the shalom makers, for they will be called children of God. It's interesting to me that he doesn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. Peacekeepers are people who sit there and just try to make sure that the two sides aren't fighting against each other. Just no more rocks are being thrown, no more shots are being fired. But he says blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers aren't just people just trying to sit there and go up, 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 I don't want to see anything, this is all good. But peacemakers are the people who step into the places of hurt, pain, conflict, difficulty, the places where rocks are being thrown, the places where arrows are being shot back and forth, the places where you step into the middle of it, you might get shot, you might get hit, you might get be a part of, of this situation. They step into the fray in order to make peace, not just keep peace, to make wholeness, to make fullness, to make rightness, to, to, to bring about those things as they come in. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And so the Frederick is this city where God's doing amazing things. We have no—we are not a—we do not bring Jesus with us. He has been there and been working there for as long as the city has been around. But it is a place where there's a lot of hurt and need and pain and injustice that still occurs. And quite simply, if you want to know about what Restoration Church is, it's a people who desire to be a peacemaking people that celebrate and walk alongside the places where God's at work doing those amazing things in our city and then step also into the places of difficulty— the places of pain and hurt and need to bring about his peace, his shalom in the city. And so this morning, um, I'm going to be honest, it's really still very awkward for me. I don't know if it was for you when you started this, but right? it's very awkward for me to preach and have the point at the end be, here's the church that I'm We're launching here. Because at the end of the day, I'm just convinced that when we come and we worship together, God has a word, not just to share some information. That's cool. I'm going to pray for that thing. Please do pray for us and those things. But I really believe that that w- there's a word that God has for us, each of us in the midst of this. And the story and the word that I think that he has for us is this, that all of us have some stuff in our lives. I do. I'm sure that you do. Some places that things are not shalom. There's not peace that's going on. There's not completeness. There's not fullness. There's not rightness. And if it's not in your life, in your world, then likely you look around your neighborhood, you look into your family, you look into the lives of those around you, and you realize, yeah, there's not shalom happening there. You usually don't have to look too far to find the places where there's a lack of shalom going on in our world. And I want to encourage you to, for a couple of things. One is I want to encourage you that to first of all, it's so easy. We are in a we live in a in a, a culture of action where we want to find here's the three things to go do to make that, that that place of peace place of shalom. And one of the things we forget in the midst of that is that we are not the people. It's not our shalom that comes. It's God's. And so one of the things I want to encourage you to do is as you think about whether that's a situation in your life, your family, your neighborhood, whatever it is, something in current events, to literally actually come to the Lord in prayer. To actually believe that he might be a God that's not just sitting far away, who really doesn't care and doesn't want to hear from you, but he's actually the God who's bending his ear down and wants to hear from you. That he is sitting there, he's already on the other side of the phone, ready to have the conversation. You just haven't picked up yet and started talking yet. That to literally bring those things and ask him to do what only he can do, which is to bring that restoration and that shalom into those places. But then I want to encourage you to to take what I've now termed the the next step prayer. And that is, that's one thing to bring those things before God, the other next thing is to ask the prayer and ask God to say, how do you want to use me to be an answer to that first prayer? How do you want to use me to be a peacemaker in that same place that I just prayed about? You ever realize that sometimes you pray for something and you should pray for it, God's the one who's going to work through it, and then God turns around and he says, you're the one that I want to do this for. This wouldn't happen in Impact Church, but occasionally, in my pastoral past, this has happened where I'll have a situation, again, Eric, this isn't this isn't for you in this place. This is just a, an example for other places. But as a pastor, I'll sit there, and it's amazing how many times people will come up to me and they say, you know, Pastor Brian, you know, uh, I'm going to use Judith, because that's a weird name that I don't know. Uh, I don't have a Judith in my pastoral past, so we're going to use that. If your name is Judith, it's not that you're weird, all right? It's just that I don't I haven't had that in the past. You know, Judith. Sister Judith hasn't shown up at church for about four weeks. Someone should probably reach out to her. Which is code as a pastor for you, pastor, should reach out to them. If you were doing your job, you would do that. And I'll tell you what I what I wanted to say when I was pastoring that church, but I couldn't say because I was pastoring that church, and I still wanted to be able to pay our mortgage and have a place of ministry going forward, is I wanted to sit there and say, so, so who whose heart was it placed upon to recognize that Judith wasn't here for the last four weeks? You're right. Someone should do that. You're someone, right? You're, you're someone, right? You're the person who recognized she wasn't here. You're the person who probably has the relationship with her that it would be meaningful if you showed up in her life and said, hey, is everything okay? You're the person that's there. Maybe, just maybe, you're the answer to the prayer and to the question that you have there. And I think God does that all the time in all sorts of situations for us. We pray for a situation and then God wants us if we'll be willing vessels to come in and say, hey, here's how I want you to move into this situation. But it's a dangerous prayer. It's a good one, but it's a dangerous one. Because it's the exact same prayer that led us to leave a great church, a missional church, a church with our family deeply embedded in it, a church my kids had known, no other church besides. And to step out in faith into something completely different in the city of Frederick, to begin this this movement called restoration church because it started with praying a prayer god do something new in frederick do something new in that place where a previous congregation had died and something new needed to come and then somewhere along the way i guess because i'm a pastor and things i kept praying and eventually i started praying god show me how i can be a help to what's going on there and whatever new you want to do there again that's a dangerous prayer because god just might turn around and say I got something for you. So I'm going to pray for us. Our worship team can make their way back up here and begin to lead us. They're going to lead us in one last song here. But wherever you are, we would encourage, we would love your prayers for Restoration Church. But this is a bigger, Restoration is a bigger topic than a church plant that's happening in a city 30 minutes from here. It's a thing that God wants to do in your heart. It's a thing he wants to do in our families. It's a thing he wants to do in your neighborhoods. It's a thing he wants to do all over the place because this is what he does. This is his business. And so as I pray, I'm, let me just encourage you to, to lift up that place or those things, that situation in your life that you have that is, that is on your heart and to bring that to the Lord and, and maybe, just maybe, if you're bold enough to ask him how you can be an answer to the prayer, how you can be a peacemaker in that space. So Lord, we ask that you would come into the various places that sit on our hearts and in our lives this morning. Lord, the neighborhoods, the people, the circumstances, maybe even the stuff that we're dealing with that, are, that we know is not experiencing your shalom, your rightness, your fullness, your completeness, Lord. Father, it's amazing that that's what you want to do in our hearts and our lives. That's what you want to do through your grace working in us and through us. And so, Lord, we lift those places up to you and we ask that you would do what only you can do in bringing about your peace and your shalom. And yet, Lord, at least some of us courageously step out of that space to say, Lord, show us how we can be a part of your redemptive and transformative and restorative purposes. Show us how we can be agents of restoration in a broken world. Show us how we can be people who help bring about and be peacemakers in our communities and in our families. Show us how we can step into those places where there is conflict, there's hurt, there's pain, where things are not right, and bring about the shalom that's possible in and through you. Lord, I ask that you would do that personally for me and for our family and in the city of Frederick. And I pray that that might be the people that Impact Church is as they, as they witness to your grace in Sykesville, in Eldersburg, in the areas surrounding you. I thank you for this people who desire to make an impact on the world around them. Bless them, use them, keep them, and make them peacemakers for your kingdom purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.